Good morning. You're listening to KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine. Those songs always make me smile. I love No Small Children. They were on a few weeks ago. If you're just tuning in, this is KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine. I'm Janine. This is Get the Funk Out. If you want more information about No Small Children, they are up on my blog, getthefunkoutshow.kuci.org. Okay, so standing by to join me right now is Sunoko Sakai. She's the author of Ricecraft. She's a Los Angeles-based cooking teacher and co-founder of Common Grains and the Southern California Heritage Grain Project. Good morning, Sunoko. Yes, good morning. Hi. I love your book. Well, thank you. As I was mentioning, my daughter loves, you know, making all kinds of different creations and... Uh, we go to Daiso, and she gets um, little <laughs> things to cut out the seaweed and put eyeballs on her rice. Oh, I mean, she <laughs> yeah, that's a fun place, isn't it? <laughs> it's addictive. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I wanted before we get into the great recipes in this book, tell me about the backstory because you have a really great backstory of a why is it onigiri, right? I could you pronounce yeah, it. Yeah, onigiri, onigiri, right? Why? What that is, and why it's so special to you. Well, um, onigiri is, um, is, is a rice ball. You know, it's just simply a rice ball that's filled with something a little savory. Um, it could be, you know, last night's chicken or salmon or, you know, bits of chopped herbs. Um, it could be anything. Um, onigiri is Japanese number one comfort food. If, if, if sushi is, you know, something is a, is a molded rice made by a master chef, Right. Onigiri is mom's, you know, is what your mom will make for you, which what? is like another version of a rice ball. Yeah. Well, my mom, I grew up on Skippy, so, <laughs> but, <laughs> but, but I, th- I think it's great because we were talking about this is so much healthier than most traditional, uh, you know, lunches. Oh, yes. And, and it just gives you another variety, another way to diversify what you're going to pack in your child's lunch. Mm-hmm. or give to your child as a snack. And I think that the, that idea, the trend, is already starting to happen right here in, in Southern California because onigiri shops are popping up here and there, and I see lines forming at, like, the farmer's markets with Mama Musubi or Sunny Blue in Santa Monica. I mean, it's very popular with moms and children and also, you know, grown-ups. Right, and it's yeah. really fun. I mean, I love how... At a young age, you were mentioning in the 60s in your book. Uh, yes. You talk mm-hmm. about maybe that story a little bit. That's Oh, yes. Well, my grandmother was a great cook. And, um, and you know, just growing up in Japan in the 60s is when everything was artisanal. All, you know, you had the artis- artisans that, um, like the rice miller that milled the rice for you. So you always got to, like, get the freshest rice. Mm-hmm. And, um, and... You know, we were surrounded by rice fields. So I grew up um, appreciating rice culture and eating it as well. You know, it's just yes. not eating it, also celebrating it during the festivals. Rice was always at the centerpiece of our culture. And uh, my grandmother knew how to make a perfect bowl of rice. <laughs> <laughs> and she she would sit in front of the, 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 the it was like she had a, a wood, wood-burning um, stove, stove mm-hmm. in, in her in living room and, and she had this little cast um, like an iron pot and she would cook rice for us and tell stories and there were five Aww. kids in her family but I was always like the one that was 
curious about her cooking, and we'd just sit with her. And I could just sit and listen to her tell me stories while we patiently had to wait for that rice to cook, you know, which takes about 20 minutes. Right. But that was enough for her to tell us wonderful stories of growing up, you know, in that old Japan, the ancient Japan. And so, I mean, it was, oh, for me, that. a magical moment to, to share that and to see her make the onigiris and eat the treat with her. That is so special. Do you have any pictures of that, of, of her? When you yes, I do. Well, you know, she used to, well, well I've taken pictures of her um, making everything from pickled pickled um, plums, mm-hmm. which is another feature filling in, um, it's called umeboshi, that you put inside a onigiri. Um, I have some snapshots of her, of that, and maybe some of onigiri. I, I have to look, but... But definitely of umeboshi, of her making umeboshi, um, the pickles, yes. And, um, yeah, she's, she's just amazing. You know, she also inspired me to write my first cookbook, The Political Pursuit of Food. I mean, there was poetry in the way she cooked everything, and that's what I want to share with my, my readers. She must be so proud. Oh, yes, yeah, she lived to 102. <gasps> wow. And, yes, and, and her attitude was, you know, it's, she had this beginner spirit attitude, and you know, she, she was always curious about learning how to make a new dish or catching, you know, going to what we would walk to the beach and buy the fish from the fisherman directly, just oh. off the net. So the fish was jumping up and down, and we would just bring that back and make sushi, uh, make little onigiris, and then put put the fresh sashimi right on top and eat it, and so. You know, these memories for me um, are just uh, magical and uh, important, I think, for sh- you know, as something I want to share with my American um, students and readers. Yeah. Tell me, I don't even know, how is rice grown? I know it's on a stalk, right? Yeah, and it's in a rice paddy. So, in, in other words, the, the fields are flooded. Mm-hmm. and it grows in water. They also have dry farming now oh. uh, for places like Madagascar or, you know, in Africa where there's not enough water, but it's mostly grown in water, and um, it's, um, it, 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 you know, it, it, just like wheat, it takes one season to grow, um, and okay. um, it, it's, you know, they, because they're in water, you know, if it's really clean water, you know, you get to, you, get, you see lots of frogs and all kinds of creatures that live, <laughs> that coexist <laughs> with them. And that's, that's the kind of rice fields I remember is going to school and walking through the rice fields and, oh, and waiting, waiting for the, the rice to turn golden, you know, so mm-hmm. it would go from lush green to gold. And then I would see the farmers harvesting it by hand. I, mean, I, I live, you know, I come from the traditional world. And... Um, and then they let it dry, they let the, the, the rice dry outside in the sun, and then um, it's um, basically milled. And depending on, you know, you could leave it as a whole grain or, you know, milled to white rice. There's different, you know, levels of milling. But, you know, I, that's something that the Japanese um, specify, too. Because some people like it sprouted and... You know, my mother was about all about whole grain, brown rice, and my mm-hmm. grandmother grew up during the war, you know, lived during the war, so she, she only ate white, white rice, rice after that, you know. And I also enjoyed blending it with barley and oh, other great. grains. That is great. Yeah, so and healthy. that makes it very healthy and tasteful, yeah. Mm-hmm. So, 
Yeah, it's um, yeah. So rice is um, the rice is just this beautiful grain that um, um, is uh, it's different from wheat. You know, it's 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 part of that grass family, but um, it's gluten free and um, starchier, so it sticks together and makes a perfect rice ball. Now, is it harder to work with brown rice to make to do something with the requires sticky rice, or is it? Uh, well, first of all, you do have to sh- start with short grain or medium grain rice, mm-hmm. which grows in California. Um, and if you have a rice cooker, those rice cookers are very handy. Every Asian person has a rice cooker for for reasons that they don't want to stand and watch <laughs> the rice <laughs> cook. <laughs> they want to walk away and do other things, and they're they're very reliable machines. So I have. You know, I have I use a rice cooker, but that can be set to like brown brown rice to white rice. But the most important thing, even if you cook it on the stovetop, is you soak it. You, people don't soak it enough. So if it's that? brown rice, you could soak it overnight. If it's white rice or semi milled rice, I would soak it or sprouted rice. I would soak it for at least thirty minutes. Why do you have to soak it? Is it uh, better as far as cooking? It needs to be hydrated. You know, it's been dried, right? So mm-hmm. the moisture is. There's no moisture in it, so you need to kind of fluff it back up. Right? It needs to to absorb that water and 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 re- rehydrate it, right? Yes. So that it cooks within 20 minutes. If you if you don't hydrate your rice, you're going to get one that remains hard at the center. And you know, there's there's rice that's al dente, but that's no good. Yeah, that's a whole other thing. You know? Right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> If you, like you don't want al dente when you're eating um, onigiris. No, so. no. Mm-mm. So when did you come to the United States? Well, I was actually born in New York. Oh, you were? And, yes, oh. I was born in New York in Queens, and my father worked for the airline. So he, we, we were like migrating birds. Every three to five years, he was transferred back to Japan. Then we came back to San Francisco, oh. back to Japan, then to Mexico, back to Japan, so with us, we always, you know, my mother was always bringing her kitchen, you know, essentials with her, mm-hmm. which included rice. And when we moved to America, it was a little easier because, especially California, because there's, you know, rice is grown by the Japanese Americans, like the Coda Farms, you know, family. Right. And so my mother loved California short grain and medium grain rice so much that she would actually take it back to Japan as a souvenir. So, <laughs> but yeah, we were just real multicultural family in that sense. That's great. And then when you went to school and you're bringing rice, were you amazed other kids weren't eating as healthy? Right. I was actually really surprised that people were just happy with a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. Yeah. To me, that was like I couldn't acquire a taste for peanut butter for the longest time <laughs> and celery sticks, you know, I thought, yeah. wow, that's so boring because you should see how elaborate the Japanese bento boxes look. I and saw. I, I put a link on my blog, uh, which is Get oh the Funk Out Show. And I, but I did think, how long does it take these moms to make this? Really fast. It really you know why? Yeah, yeah, because everything that's in that bento box, except for the onigiris, can be made the day before, right? They're oh. leftovers. I see. So when you're you're making roasted chicken, you just save that drumstick, or you have you know you have a, a few vegetables that are cooked, mm-hmm. or a potato salad left over from the day before, okay. and all it is is just putting them into compartments and 
making, and the only fresh thing you want is that onigiri, because if a day-old onigiri gets kind of dry and hard, sure. it doesn't taste good. So it's the onigiri that just gets, mo- you know, just you just mold the onigiri. And, you know, rice can be brought back to life by simply microwaving it or steaming it, right? And so yes. it doesn't take just a minute or two to steam it. So, you know, you could bring it back to life and nice and soft, and you just mold that onigiri, and if you don't like to do it by hand, just use a mold, there's tons, if you go to Daiso, you'll see the onigiri mold for sure. Oh, yes. And, yeah, and you could just make it and pack it up and make it pretty, you know? That's the thing is it just, I think my art education, my creative education all came from the looking at bento boxes. Well, I like I said, there is a link I put up, and it, there are two little bunnies, and they're holding flowers, <laughs> and it's adorable. I mean, it's, oh, my know. mother never did that. Let me tell you that she <laughs> never did that. But you know, it was either like uh, you know she put like uh, greens on one side. Maybe it was more like a flag, or you know, she had diagonals. She, I mean, she had five bento boxes to make. She never made cute. Uh, you know, like those anime characters. That never happened in my generation. But they were still beautiful, you know, just yes. being straight with your vegetables. You know, anything fresh is always beautiful anyway. Yeah. And just taking just an extra minute to make a beautiful uh, lunchbox, mm-hmm. you know, just gives, sense, you know, the mother's love, you know, sure along. Does. And I think it's really important. I think so too, and my daughter loves Japanese food, and we, she's oh, really? <laughs> yeah. I was mentioning she just loves it, and she loves to create different things and put time into her lunches. And I noticed that she does definitely eat um, healthier, and she eats more when it's you know a little more creative. Yeah, I think children should have that option. You know, I mean, sandwiches are great, burritos are great. Every culture has their little, mm-hmm. you know. Uh, uh, it's like a, a portable food, right? Yes. Um, but let's bring in, let's try onigiri. I think it's a wonderful option to have, and it's very digestible for kids. So um, I, I, and it's easy to do. I mean, if you can make a snowball, you can make an onigiri. Yes. And then you get you're so creative in your book. Uh, if you're just tuning in, we're talking to uh, Sonoko Sakai, and she's the author of Ricecraft. Tell me about um, some of your inspirations. You have all these incredible recipes. Oh, <laughs> well, I have the classics, right, which mm-hmm. are, you know, your basic, like a peas, easy-peasy kind of onigiri with just peas and some chopped ginger. Mm-hmm. That's kind of basic. And also like a grilled onigiri where you just broil the onigiri in, in the toaster oven or your, your broiler until it's nice and crisp. You just baste it with some soy sauce. Okay. And, and there you go. You have, a, like, a toasted onigiri. It's just like toast, right? Mm-hmm. But then I have, like, um, tuna, tuna melt, right, or uh, a cheese melt. I mean, rice and melted cheese is such a great combo, right? Yeah, that's good. And when I first came to move to Los Angeles, my parents took me to Bob's Big Boy, and I had my first patty melt, tuna, tuna melt <laughs> it's called, I guess, patty yeah. melt. Mm-hmm. And I thought it was the best thing in the world. So what I thought, well, why can't I do this with onigiri? So I just brushed some um, butter, melted butter, on the onigiri and put it into the toaster oven and then put some tuna, you know, like a tuna mayo mm-hmm. um, and salad, and then put my melted, put a little, sh- you know, shredded cheese on top and put it back in the toaster oven and let nice. it melt and ate it with a fork, and it was so good. That sounds that great. That was my, yeah, I mean, 
American foods can be very inspiring. Like uh, I also have like a jelly, like just um, like you could just again eat it like uh, instead of eating granola, you just toast the onigiri with some butter mm-hmm. and just and chop. You could actually make like chopped fruits and oh, nuts, yes. and then make that onigiri. Then brush some butter and and make a toasted onigiri, and then you put some uh, a little jelly, you know, like a jam on it and eat it like toast. Yum. It is so good. Oh, so I have oh, all these okay. ideas that I bring in to, or miso con carne is another funny one. Instead of chili con carne, yes. I actually put the, the you know, ground seasoned spicy meat inside. I blend it into the rice. Oh, or you could use it as a filling yes. and make an onigiri. So you have this spicy flavored onigiri and you could wrap it with nori seaweed so that it holds together. And it's just great, you know. It's um, yeah, I and I have some side dishes too that you could try. You know, like sautéed root vegetables, and I have a pickled ginger. I have um, eggs. You know, eggs marinated eggs that you see floating in the in the uh, ramen soup. Mm-hmm. So that really makes a nice onigiri side. Or you could even wrap the the whole thing with rice and turn it into a big round onigiri. And there's all kinds of creative ideas in here that you could play with. And they're so healthy. I, I wanted to ask you about miso, because I've read great things about this. It's a fermented soup, is it? Yes. Miso is, uh, it's, uh, again, it's a, it's a rice base. Everything in Japan is rice-based, by the way. All the seasonings, whether it's uh, soy sauce, sake, meeting, which is sweet sake, and miso. They're all made from koji, which is a fermented rice. And miso, uh, to that, miso has also... Um, soybeans, or um, it could also be just rice, but it could also have beans, it could have um, um, barley, it could have wheat, and it's just fermented for as short as six months to about three years long, and um, and then you you make a stock, you make a, uh, you could have a vegetarian stock like mushrooms and, and kombu seaweed, or you could just do a chicken stock or a beef stock or like a tuna stock, we call it bonita flakes. Okay. Uh, dashi is the Japanese word for stock, and you just add the miso. It's like for every cup of stock that you have, just add one tablespoon of miso, and you know, add some cooked vegetables or fresh vegetables and mm-hmm. chopped tofu if you like, and you just have it as a soup. That's our breakfast soup. Oh, it is. Uh huh. That's what my husband likes to have every morning. Yeah, he's he's always asking for that. It's so healthy. I mean, I sometimes like if my daughter hasn't felt well or something, I suggest we make miso because it seems like it's really good for your your. Well, they you say know. in Japan there's an old saying that um, that doctors turn blue when they see a miso maker. You know, because oh. <laughs> it's like <laughs> apple a day keeps the doctor away. Yes. Well, the miso has so many medicinal qualities. Yes. It's a probiotic food. And you shouldn't heat it up too much. So miso oh. should be the last thing that's added to the stock. Oh, if you want to heat the soup, you cook the vegetables, um, put the tofu in there, then add the miso, the blended miso. You know, you should dilute it before you put it in okay. with the stock. And don't boil it. Oh. Reheating miso soup kills the quality of miso soup and it makes, it makes the flavor flat. I so, did not know that. Okay. Yeah, I wouldn't, I wouldn't cook it too much. So okay. just... And serve it right away with some brighteners like um, chopped scallions or some oh, herbs. 
I love that. And that, yeah, that really is a, a very important part of miso soup. But that's also covered in my book. By the way, I have a section for miso soup because it pairs very well with onigiri. I am getting so hungry. <laughs> I'm looking at this book. Um, tell me about, in 2011, you started a project called Common Grains. What is that all yeah. about? Well, what happened is um, I, well, I was, um, I have done um, things to promote, um, events to promote Japanese um, rice and also um, other grains like buckwheat, you see, mm-hmm. and because I make noodles. I, you know, I make onigiri, but I also make I love to make noodles, and soba, buckwheat noodles, is one of my favorite ones. But I was doing all these things and always searching for good flour, good grains, and I ended up with a miller and farmer, um, Anson Mills, Glenn Roberts, back in, um, he's based in southern, uh, in South Carolina. Mm-hmm. And he gave me a, a seed grant and said, you know what, all these grains that you love and you're talking about, can actually be grown in your area in Southern California. You just have oh. to find a, 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 you know, the right-minded, you know, a mindful farmer who's willing to grow it sustainably. Um, and um, and I'll give you, I'll give you some seeds. So he sent me four tons of seeds. Four tons. <laughs> four tons of seed in a combine, and I had to find a farmer that would be willing to try growing it. And it took me a couple of years to get it going, but oh last year we had our first harvest. Um, this is in Tehachapi, California, uh, outside of Mojave mm-hmm. in the high desert. And now this year, they're, um, they use that seed to grow uh, something like 20 acres of four to five heirloom varieties of wheat, barley, and rye. Wow. And some buckwheat. And it's just amazing. It and is. the bakers in, in, in L.A. and... Are, and I'm sure as far as Orange County, they're all coming. They're actually really talking to each other about using local grains, not the yes. you know industrial grains that you get from the Midwest, but something grown locally by the by the farmers here, and and, and use right. that in their cooking and baking. And it's just the flavors are wonderful, and the just the communal feeling, the community that we have created over. This project has just been phenomenal. Oh, so, I, I mean, I was just a conduit. I was approached to give the seed to somebody. That's all I did. But I feel like that was a really, you know, good kind of it sure was thing that I, I was able to get involved in, and I'm very happy that it's taken off. And uh, if you visit the Tehachapi Grain Project, um, Alex you, Weiser and John Hammond it? are the leading farmers doing it, and it's just a wonderful place to be. Uh, Sonoko, how do you spell that, the project? Tehachapi is, it's a place. It's an Indian, Native American, T-E-H-A-C-H-A-P-I, T-E-H-A-C-H-A-P-I, Tehachapi. Okay. And it's called the Tehachapi Grain Project. You could actually visit that, their website, um, and they and you see the press that's been written about it. Um, that is great. It's, um, yeah, it's great. And they do fundraising. They still need, you know, money to buy, you know, tools for equipment, and they're always looking for more people to participate. So that would be a really great cause if right. somebody was interested, yeah. Maybe I'll put that up in my blog when we're, when we're done. Oh, that would be really great. So you're also a cooking teacher. So yes. uh, tell uh-huh. me about some of your classes. 
Well, um, I teach miso. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I teach miso making. I'm doing that next week at Poketo, which is at the Line Hotel. I do do, um, tofu making. Um, Like, I work at the bread lab in uh, Washington uh, State in Seattle, and um, I often teach noodle making. These things are all related to grains, right? Mm -hmm. Um, uh, So udon and ramen I also teach. And I I do, I just did a sushi class for home cooks. Um, And I I teach how to, you know, uh, do pickling. Fermentation is very, something that really fascinates me. And Japan has a very old tradition of pickling with uh, fermented bran rice and pickling plums and and uh, making sake and all kinds of good stuff. <laughs> so um, I do um, I do the whole range, you know, and um, I teach at my from my house in Highland Park or I teach at cooking school. So um, if people want to find out yeah. more about your classes, do you have a website? Um, or how could they find yes, you? Yes, um, it's com. com. Cooktellsastory.com. Oh, okay, I'm going to put yeah. that up on there as well because I don't have... Oh, thank you so there. much. You're welcome. Yeah. You know, it's interesting. I can't eat bread. I get really tired. I think I have um, an intolerance to gluten, so I've uh-huh. stayed away from it. And when I eat rice, I don't feel so exhausted, and I, I feel completely different. And I love... There are so many different types of rice, and people don't realize how healthy it is for me. Oh, you know, just in Japan, there's over 500 varieties of rice. What? I didn't know. Yes, that. yes, and um, and the different colors and flavors: black, red, purple rice, mm-hmm. and it's just such a beautiful grain. And um, I think the more you start looking and blending grains and bringing it into your life, you also get to understand the history. You know, our history of grains and how we're all sort of tied together. This universe <laughs> is standing on these grains and our culture has here has been mostly about wheat right but you know it goes a lot deeper than that right yes. so yes. it's a good thing to explore and you know you said you're intolerant to to uh, wheat yes if if you really i just baked some bread this morning mm-hmm. and it, it was one of the most tastiest one because i did a very slow fermentation i do my own starters it's a sourdough again you know industrial wheat Makes you sick. I heard that. I've read that. I can't. Yes. I can't buy any bread anymore, right? I, because you know it, it, they do such a fast uh, fermentation with the yeast and all these chemicals that mm-hmm. you know. Of course, how could you feel good? I actually right. get sick when I. Oh, you do eat that kind of bread. Oh, yeah. yeah. I don't. I don't. I just I don't well. eat it if I don't bake it, and that's just been my policy. And I feel so good. I could eat a whole loaf and not get sick. Wow. <laughs> I gotta say that. So, I would not. I would not. You know. Um, you know. Remove bread from your life yet. You know. Right. Give it another chance because what's happening right now with these bakers mm-hmm. uh, who are interested in, in in you know soil fermentation is in better flowers is really make, trying to make a change. So I have heard that. I read that uh, certain sourdoughs. It, you know, depending on the fermentation, can be better yes. for you than the process, you know, the industrial. Oh, definitely. People who have, you know, wheat intolerance mm-hmm. are rediscovering that they could actually eat it because, you know, you just have to be very selective about what kind of bread you're eating. Do you teach a class yeah. on that? Do you teach a class? Uh, you know what? I have now made, you know, I, I, I only started 
Well, I've done the, the red baking before, mm-hmm. but I got really serious into it last year because I was okay. doing these green projects and I realized I can't just be doing noodles and cooking rice, right? Yeah, yes. So I made, in one summer, I made over 100 loaves. Whoa. <laughs> just practicing. And then I got better at it and I'm pretty, I'm, I feel like I'm pretty good at it now, but you know, I don't, I feel like I'm not ready to teach it yet because it's, it's, it's very, I don't want to do a quick e-spread, you know, yes. I, yes. I like the slow fermentation, so right. I'm not, I don't have the facility to quite make it into a class, yeah. but maybe, maybe one day I will. One of the questions. I love it. Well, I'm yeah. sure. I'm it's delicious. Um, one of the questions before we wrap up, do you teach to a lot of kids or is it? Oh yes, I do. do. That must be fun. Yeah, you know, um, next January, I think it's six. Uh, the Japanese American National Museum has an annual uh, New Year's uh, event, mm-hmm. and I'm supposed to be doing an onigiri contest. So what we do is we invite like 500 kids, okay, into a cl- and, and and they take turns making the decorating their onigiris. Yes, and they enter a contest, and it's just fun. You know, it's nothing serious. It's just we just like look for cute original it. ideas and. And, and, you know, and, and that's basically it. But um, I did that like four years in a row. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you, I get like 700 people, part- five to 700 people participating. Oh, I bet. They were like, you know, in a, a three to four hour period. And they all come into this one room and we go, okay, let's make onigiri. And Cute. so I've done this up and down the coast. I've done it in Seattle and San Francisco here and I do these workshops for kids all over the place. Well, let me know because I would love to come yeah. with my daughters. Um, oh, that would be fun. I would it's, love um, they, she would love it. I mean, you see hundreds of cute little onigiris. Oh, she would love it. It's so creative. You know, Japanese onigiris tend to be like about anime, mm-hmm. but American kids are not so affected by that. So yeah. <laughs> I find them to be very creative. Oh, it's so cute. It's so cute. Yes. So, so if people want more information about you, I know you're on Facebook, you're on Instagram. How do they yeah. find you? So just Sonoko Sakai. Just Google Sonoko Sakai, and okay. I am. they can find me, I guess, on Instagram, right? It's Sonoko Sakai, because yes. that's what it is. And Facebook is also Sonoko Sakai. Perfect. And, I'm yeah, I'm very active in both social medias, and I don't Twitter that much, but um, I still haven't figured out how to do that one. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, you'll get I don't there. know how to retweet, so I said forget it. <laughs> <laughs> That's okay. In time. <laughs> yeah, in time. <laughs> more important things to worry about. So if I want to visit your, uh, what is your? Um, My blog? Yeah. It's Get the Funk Out Show. Get a Funk Out Show. Yeah, it's, so it's G-E-T-T-H-E, mm-hmm. Funk Out, F-U-N-K. Mm-hmm. So it's getthefunkoutshow.kuci.org. K-C-E-I.org. Well, it's, okay. It's K-U-C-I. Oh, K-U-C-I. Yeah, okay. UCAL Irvine. Yeah. That's where we are. Uh-huh. Okay. And, uh, and I'll, I'll reach out to you because w- uh, within an hour I'm going to post this up on my blog so people can listen if they couldn't tune in. Oh, they could already tune in. So it's like a podcast. Well, it will be a podcast. We, we've just been live, and then I'm going to put it up on my blog. Wonderful. All right. I'm so, you know, happy to talk with you, and thank you so much for giving me this time. Oh, you're so welcome. I'm so yeah. glad I, was, I w- received your book, and I thought, I'd love to have her on. This is so much fun. 
<laughs> Thank you. All right. Enjoy the rest of the day, and um, you too. let me know when you have some things going on. Yeah, I'll let you know when I have. Yeah, when I have the. Uh, the only giddy event. All right, sounds January. good. Wonderful. I'll make a note. All right. Okay, thank, thank you. you. Have a nice day. You bye too. Bye. bye. That was Sonoko Sakai joining us to talk about her latest book, Ricecraft. And if you missed any part of it, it will be up on my blog probably by 10.30. And uh, the blog again, getthefunkoutshow.kuci.org. And so let's listen to one more song from No Small Children. There are so many great ones. I had a chance to go see them in L.A. a couple weeks ago. It was so much fun. I love them. All right, let's see. This one is called Mystical. You're listening to KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine. 